Amen. Welcome to HBF again, and thank you for joining us in praise and worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 9. We're moving along, and uh, it's exciting to get into this study of Exodus and continue in it. Uh, if you are joining us online, we welcome you to HBF this morning, and we are glad that you are with us. And as you're turning to Exodus chapter to Exodus chapter nine, if you don't have a Bible, uh, didn't one bring one with you? Um, just grab one from the seat rack in front of you. If you're a first time guest, we're really glad you're with us. Maybe you didn't have the courage to raise your hand. We understand that. We are glad that you're here, and we do hope that uh, you enjoy the service today, and we have a chance to make your introduction before you leave. Uh, if you did not get a handout uh, this morning, just raise your hand. The ushers will be by. And they will get that to you. I see Wendy's. I don't mean to. Let me call Wendy out and embarrass her. So uh, so anyway, but just leave your hand up until the ushers come by and they will and they will uh, take care of you with a handout. So um, I think <laughs> So, at any rate, they may not know that I just said that. So if you don't have a Bible, though, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. and It'll be on page 94. Page 94 is where we're going to be. And uh, this is a 35-verse chapter, so this title of the sermon this morning is, you know, Warning, Whipping, and uh, and a Way to Escape. I'm not going to get to the way to escape, unfortunately. I'm going to leave you guys in this tension uh, this morning, but I think we'll be okay just because of all the uh, the things that I want to talk about when we get to the last part of the chapter. But this morning, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, and um, as we look at Exodus chapter 9, we're going to see uh, the 5th the through the 7th plague. And again, if you need a handout, just keep your hand in the air and they'll come to you quickly. Uh, we have, we've been looking at the, the process by which God is getting Israel out of the bondage of Egypt to fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now to Moses, right? He's made uh, promises to Moses uh, as well as to the, the, uh, the fathers of Israel uh, prior preceding Moses. And so we see now that um, this is kind of a, a situation from the introduction of the book of Exodus uh, where we understand it's all about an exit. So many of you, even if you're not a church person, many people know that Exodus is about exiting. So uh, we have uh, seen the oppression of God's people under Pharaoh in Egypt, and we understand they need to depart. But as you read and as we look at the text this morning, as we're in the heart of this uh, of this, these plagues now, uh, there are five times uh, that we see uh, five signs, I should say, rather, that God has brought already to Pharaoh and uh, this will be, and we've seen the fourth plague that's been upon Pharaoh in Egypt. So once Pharaoh rejected God's signs privately in the court of God, uh, in his court, I'm sorry, God goes public with these plagues. So everyone in Egypt and their world will know that the Lord God of Jehovah reigns supreme, uh, not just over Israel, but over the whole world. And so he is, he's putting uh, the prideful and resistant stiff-necked Pharaoh on notice, of course, that he is God. So uh, you know, this morning, perhaps you're here and you've been uh, listening uh, and learning and going through the Bible with us and what have you, but you're not really ready to, you know, receive Jesus. And it's important that you humble yourself because there's only so many warnings. I mean, Pharaoh only gets so many warnings. And then, as we see at the end of the text this morning, we'll see that God hardens his heart once more. And and so this morning, I pray that we're all humble and we understand that, that being under God's mighty hand is a benefit to all of us. And if you're not, um, you know, it's important that, that we are not those that are stiff-necked. You don't want to be that stiff-necked and rebellious person that will not submit to God like Pharaoh was in Egypt. And not just Pharaoh, but there were many of his followers that continued to follow him right on into the, the Red Sea as we'll eventually get to that on that 10th plague when he gets swallowed up and dies. You know, when Stephen, the deacon, was preaching in Acts chapter 7 to a religious group of people, he wasn't talking to, you know, the guys down at the local drug deal. You know, he wasn't talking to people at the, at the, at the uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, at the brothel. That's a nice way of saying it. He wasn't talking to, to the people, you know, uh, about, you know, that, that, you know, we would consider, um, you know, sinners. Uh, he was talking to the religious people. Right, the people who held the Bible and said, "Oh, we we clutch to the Word of God. Can't pry this out of my cold dead hands." Right, and uh, and so this is what Stephen the deacon said. He says, "You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye." 
And that's a pretty powerful statement to a group of religious people who know their Bible thoroughly. Um, uh, and, you know, so we got to be careful, right? Pharaoh is a religious person. He's very religious. He believes in, uh, he believes he is a god. He believes in all the, the pagan gods. And there's reasons, as we've seen, these gods were not without power. And this is important, too, as we go forward in, in history, that we grasp hold that, that Jesus Christ is the power of God into salvation. You know, as you go forward in time, I would, I would, uh, I would submit to you that perhaps there's going to be other, other philosophies and other theories and, uh, and other mechanisms perhaps even put in place to make people believe or think that there are other ways to live for eternity, to have, to have a, to have, you know, life beyond the grave or to upload your soul to some sort of technology that will keep you going forever. There'll be all kinds of deception coming around the corner to give you some illusion that there's some way to have a relationship that's eternal uh, or have a life that's eternal outside of the one true God. And that one true God we just sang about is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a God. He is the God. You know, when we go to India and places like that, they'll hear of Jesus as a God. You know, Pharaoh would hear of Jesus as a God or Jehovah as a God. But what God's really, really doing in this, in the, as we're now in the heart of these plagues, is letting Pharaoh and Egypt know that I'm not a God. I am the God. I am the God. And all other gods uh, bow before me. And, and, and so you are, of course, as he will eventually give Moses the law, he will also mandate that we worship only one true God. That means all the other gods got to go out of business. And uh, that is, that's where we get stuck. It's where we get stuck at an individual level. A lot of people won't get saved, not because they don't understand the gospels, because they don't want to give up their gods. Uh, I'm not saying they got to stop this, stop this, stop that. I'm just saying they're not willing to worship God. They're not willing to put him first. God takes away that other stuff, but you got to put him first. That's the hard part, saying there is no other God before you. And that, that transaction, that happens in the heart. Right? All the other stuff comes after that. And, man, that heart transaction is, is where we get stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in ears. And God forbid that that would be us this morning. You know, the prophet Elijah said it this way in 1 Kings 18:21. He said, uh, Elijah came unto the people and he said, how long halts you between two opinions? Right? How long halts you between, how, how long are you just frozen between two? He's, he's there, you know, fighting, in essence, the prophets of Baal. These are the, Baal is, in essence, one of the same gods, just a different name. We talked about Beelzebub, you know, Lord of the Flies a few weeks ago. They're, that's the god they're worshiping, the primary deity there of, of the uh, of the air and war. Uh, and so uh, he's like, hey, how, how long halt you between two opinions? Are you going to continue to choose this god, or are you going to go ahead and, and follow the god of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the god of Moses, the god of Joshua, the god that, that delivered this nation? Um, and it's up to them. Of course, they chose the wrong God. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. God's not asking anyone to be unreasonable. Right? He, he, he says, come and reason with me. Right? The Lord says, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Right? It's reasonable. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. God is not unreasonable. He's created everything around us, as a matter of fact. All of creation is a manifestation and an evidence of how reasonable it is to trust a God with that kind of power. He created us. He created everything around us. And yet we still sometimes sit around and go, is there a God? You know, I've been there. I remember when I was a young man gazing into the stars and pondering that. Like, I don't know if this could all just like happen, like with a big bang. I mean, just chaos and then order and it just doesn't make any like reasonable sense i didn't have to be saved to figure that out i mean i was just like this this is just too much for just chaos to happen and then boom all this order comes out of chaos it just doesn't happen that way there has to be causality right something causes this order and of course that is again that's jesus like where's waldo here's jesus he just shows up everywhere you know he's like hey i'm here i'm everywhere you look i am the way the truth and the life and yet we get halt between two opinions Right. We, 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 we do. Now, Christians shouldn't do that. Uh, we should be all in. And by God's grace, we are. And so there are many sorrows <clears throat> that, that we could list that come from not following God. And there may be someone listening this morning or in, even in the room that just needs to get off the fence today. They got get off the fence and get into God's will. And I pray this message will move uh, you and us uh, in any way necessary to do that. So um, 
So we've seen the first three plagues appear to afflict everyone in Egypt, including the children of Israel. I've mentioned that several times throughout this series. God turned the water to blood in the first plague in Exodus chapter 7, 14 through 25. God brought frogs, uh, not flogs, frogs upon Pharaoh's bed and bedchamber and palace and the entire land of Egypt in Exodus 8, 1 through 15. God quickened the dust of the earth and turned it into lice that was all over the land. Uh, the Egyptian magicians were powerless to replicate that plague. And why they would, I don't know. But they were they couldn't do it if they wanted to. Um, God brought flies upon Pharaoh, uh, his servants, and all the land of Egypt, except the children of Israel, uh, down in Goshen. So we saw that in that plague, in Exodus chapter 8, that God did something unique and actually wrote out there in verse 22 that I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And, of course, we know he executed on that. God did exactly as he said, and that was a sign to Pharaoh. Uh, so that the people uh, that that uh, were called by his name that were that he called God called in Exodus 4:23 his son uh, could be and would be delivered if if Egypt if uh, Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go God was just going to put a hedge of protection around them he was just going to protect them in that situation isn't it nice to know that God will do that for his people and he did do that and so uh, they could be set free and go worship. Him and, the, and eventually get to the promised land that God had given Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that brings us to the text this morning. That's as far as we've gotten. And as we enter Exodus chapter 9, this chapter covers, again, uh, the plagues uh, number 5, 6, and 7. So uh, I'm not going to list them this morning. I've listed them before. I'll list them again in the future. But if you have your Bibles, let's look at the text, Exodus chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, uh, and then we'll, we'll uh, get out of here expeditiously because it is a beautiful day. Uh, but we want to go with the word of God in our hearts and a uh, sharp two-edged sword in our hands. So then the Lord said, verse uh, chapter 9 and verse 1, let's stand together. Let's honor the Lord and his word as we stand. Forgive me, Lord. This is God's holy word, not because I say so, because it is. Exodus 9 and verse 1, then the Lord said unto Moses, go into Go unto, I'm sorry, Pharaoh, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the fields, upon the horses, and upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is uh, the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become a small dust in the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it upon, or I'm sorry, up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon the uh, I'm sorry, upon the magicians and upon the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to just delve into this passage. Uh, Lord, there are lessons here, uh, not just for the lost, but to us that are saved. Uh, there's a, a memory here of a man who knew to do good and didn't do it. And, Lord, the Bible tells us that's evil. That's sinful. Lord, we know to do good, we should do it. And, Lord, I pray, God, that, that we would learn from the example of, of this man, Pharaoh, and the people of Egypt, because that's why you have left this record, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, according to Romans. Lord, these things are written here for our examples and examples, not only of what to do, which is in there as well, but also what not to do. 
Lord, I pray, God, that we would uh, take the word of God and apply it to our hearts today, that we would not be uncircumcised in heart, but circumcised. Allow the word of God, Lord, to to just uh, cut us like Hebrews 4.12 speaks to, Lord, a a sharp uh, dividing in our heart. Lord, separate us from this wicked world that we live in. Set us apart for your use. Help the love of Christ, uh, Lord, flow from us as the water of the word dwells in us and runs through us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so point one, which you already know from the title, is pretty simple. Uh, it's another warning, all right? This is getting old. We've been through this over and over already. So we see this is another warning in verses uh, 1 through 7. God sends Moses to warn Pharaoh uh, for the fourth time. This is the fourth, fourth time that he sent a warning. God warned Pharaoh of turning water to blood in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 16. So before he smote the waters, um, he said, hey, uh, here it comes, Pharaoh. You know, you need to, you need to take heed. And of course, he didn't. And so, Moses, he commanded Moses to smite the waters, turn them to blood. God warned Pharaoh of the lice. So, in that, on that plague, he warned Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. God warned Pharaoh of the flies that we looked at, um, last week, uh, in Exodus 8 and verse 20. And, and now he warns him of the moraine that will be upon the livestock, uh, in the fields. And, uh, that we just read about in verses 1 through 5. So we, before we go any further, you might ask this question, uh, what is a moraine? You know, where's Doug? Is Doug Cox in the house? He's what? What a good man. Are there any other farmers in the house? Uh, yes. Do you guys still use that word moraine? No. Okay. Uh, I was wondering about that. I was wondering about because I this is a word, if, if I, there are words you got to look up. There's like 200 words, by the way, in the King James Bible you might need to look up and get a definition on. So it's not that heavy of a lift, by the way. This is one of them. Uh, we don't typically, at least I don't typically use this word. I, if, if you don't know the word and, and Doug doesn't know the word, we probably still don't, we don't use it. But what we, what is a moraine? Well, I'm glad you're asking. These are good questions if we're going to talk about it. Um, and you may already know, but a moraine is a, is a disease uh, of livestock. It'd be similar to anthrax or something that most of us are familiar with is like hoof and mouth disease. You guys heard of hoof and mouth disease, right? Well, that's, that's dangerous and it, and it not only could kill a cattle, it can kill people, right? So, so those are things that, uh, that if you just let it go is a problem. And so that's what a moraine is. It's, it's, it's basically a disease that afflicts cattle as is pretty well self-explanatory in the text. But Pharaoh will only be warned twice more. I'm talking about warnings. So we know what moraine is. Uh, he's warned of this moraine that's coming. Uh, and then he's only going to get two more warnings. The rest of these plagues, other than the next, there's going to have a couple more warnings, are just going to come upon him. There's, there comes a point where God just, he doesn't even warn you anymore. Because it's, it's, self, it's self-evident that you just do not want to cooperate. Have you ever heard things go wrong? You, you know people, right? Things go wrong in their life and you're like, they're like, why did God allow this? But you've been like watching their life and you're like, you can't figure that out? <laughs> I mean, to get your attention, pal or gal. I mean, obviously, you're living like hell. God is trying to stop you from driving over a cliff. Oh, by the way, that's a good image there, right? So he doesn't want you to drive over a cliff. He's using circumstances to try to stop you from driving over a cliff because something in your life is drastically out of place. So Pharaoh, he's only get he's only get warned twice more by God. Um, And we still have four more plagues to go. So in Exodus 9:13, Pharaoh will be warned of the fire and hail that will befall Israel, and in Exodus 10 and verse 20, Pharaoh will be warned of the the locusts that we're going that will destroy Egypt. And we'll talk more about that as we get there. But God, uh, He asserts His authority once uh, again over Moses in this plague upon the cattle of Egypt. Now this is the third of five mentions of the phrase, which this this first verse here, by the way, is pretty pretty informative for us. Um, it's it's the first mention. Or I'm sorry, the third mention of five mentions of the phrase Lord God of the Hebrews uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, and I don't know if I've already brought this up. I don't think I have. It's also the only time that's mentioned in the whole Bible is in Exodus, which kind of caught my attention. I was like, wow, I, I did not know that. Um, and so in Exodus 9.1, of course, we see that, that God says there, um, thus saith, and then he says, the Lord God of the Hebrews. When I read that phrase, I thought, well, that's got to be all over the Bible, the Lord God of the Hebrews. It's not. It's mentioned five times. That phrase is only mentioned five times in the whole Bible. And it's specifically referencing uh, the, the Hebrews here in Egypt and their need to get out. 
So God is establishing his identity both with the Hebrews and the Egyptians and the Gentile nations. Why is God doing that? When we think about this, uh, we know who I mean, we know who the Hebrews are. And we know who the Lord God is. But God is starting something new. And uh, he's already in the previous plague. He severed out God's people in Goshen. What's he saying? He goes, these are my people. These are the Hebrews. These are the Hebrews. And uh, there'll be a whole book written to him in, in the New Testament, right? These are my Hebrews. These are my people. And I am their Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord God of the Hebrews. And, and so he's giving them identity with him. And he's separating them out from the other Gentile nations. Of course, this nation is Egypt, the chief nation uh, probably on the planet at that time. Uh, just like later on, he will do the same with Nebuchadnezzar, just like he did with Hitler. Like in our lifetimes, some of our lifetimes, uh, I wasn't born yet, but I was alive just after, right? And we see the residue today. I mean, God has done that again. Israel has been separated out uh, from among the Gentile nations, even though they haven't repented and received Jesus as Lord and Savior yet. And so um, and so God is working with his people, Israel, uh, and he is separating them out. He gives them this. He tells this to Pharaoh. This I am the Lord God of the Hebrews. And he's really putting the rest of the world on notice. And that's important. If you're listening and you're part of the United Nations, you need to get that uh, and and get get a hold of what that means to you as well. So this was a concern initially for Moses when it came uh, to his brother in Israel. Remember, Moses was like, who am I going to say sent me? And he's like. I am, <laughs> right? I am sent you. I just tell him I am, all right? He's all worried, like, they're not going to believe in your authority. Yeah, they, they will. Don't sweat it, Moses. Um, and we went through all that. It didn't go so well at times, but ultimately they did believe that Jehovah God was their Lord, their God, and that God had a purpose for them. It took about three plagues probably before they all got it sorted out, but we know by the fourth plague they're separated out and they're on board. They don't want any more of what's going on in Egypt. Man, aren't you tired of what's going on in Egypt? Man, I don't want any more what's in Egypt. I don't want what's in this world. There has to come a point in your life, especially as a Christian, where you're like, you know what? I just don't want the things of this world anymore. I got something better, right? I got something way better than this world has to offer. So Moses established God's authority with the children of Israel and Pharaoh, and God is emphasizing it with this title, the Lord God of the Hebrews, commanding these things uh, that God, the Lord of all, is going to do, and that Pharaoh, whether he wants to or not, is going to submit to. He is really letting Pharaoh know, you're going to submit, Pharaoh, whether you like it or not. This is how it's going to go down. The phrase, Lord God of the Hebrews, is mentioned in Exodus in the following places. In Exodus 3.18, 7.16, 9.1, 9.13, and 10.13. I put them on the screen there so you can have a look at them. You know, in Exodus 3.18, God commanded Moses, that's the first time it's mentioned, to speak uh, this to Pharaoh after revealing his name to Moses. So once he knows his name. Then he says, hey, now I want you to tell uh, the Pharaoh this. I'm the Lord God of the Hebrews. So this was in God's mind right from the beginning. In Exodus 7 and verse 16, as God is getting ready to smite the waters of Egypt and turn them to blood, he uses this title once more. I'm the Lord God of the Hebrews. And then this is the third mention that we just saw in verse 1. And we'll see it in verse 13 as we start our sermon next week is God is going to do something special, not just with the Hebrews, and you have to wait till next week, but also with the Egyptians. And then uh, you see it once again in chapter 10 as God uses his, this name as he brings the plague of locusts upon um, the uh, nation of Egypt and upon Pharaoh. So this is the sixth time, or the sixth of nine mentions in the whole Bible of the phrase right after that, let my people go, right? There's been rock songs written about that. Let my people go that they may serve me. Um, that's that, that phrase, let my people go that they may serve me, is mentioned um, you know, in several places, nine times in the Bible. I'm not going to read through all those. Those are just references. I didn't have a place to put them in your notes. but And so this is also a phrase that he uses, um, and it appears expressly in the book of Exodus up through those plagues, Exodus chapter 10. So God announces the scope of the plague, right? He's like, this is who I am. I'm repeating myself. <laughs> I'm telling you who I am. And I'm telling you what I need you to do. Let my people go. I mean, that's it. There's no more. I am the Lord, and that's what I'm telling you to do. Whether you like it or not, Pharaoh, that's where we're going. So God announces the scope of what this is going to mean to them. First, he, he, he starts with clarification in verses 2 through 3. He says, For this, for if thou refuse to let them go and will hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon 
thy cattle. And then he says this, which is in the field. So God is gracious here to the children of Israel. He says that this, this plague of this moraine is going to be on the cattle. And he specifically says, uh, which is in the field. So he's not, if you have them under roof, evidently, uh, they will not be touched. And so these are the cattle that are in the field. And the cattle, which is, is not in the field, will be spared by the plague. And this will be important as the livestock will be uh, restocked and the sixth and seventh plague will touch them as well. So the livestock is going to be the subject of the next couple of plagues along with the people. Uh, and so there's going to be, li- there's going to be successive, uh, you know, uh, smiting, so to speak, uh, upon the livestock. Uh, second, God points out the very important illusion, or I'm sorry, the very important inclusion in the scope of this plague on the five species of cattle. So he kind of defines it. Like if you're in construction, right, or in, well, really any business, and you do contract work, right, you gotta, you can, you gotta have a scope of work and you gotta define what you're gonna do, right? So he's like, okay, this is my exclusion. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, this is, I'm including just the cattle in the field, it means I'm ex- excluding all the other cattle that are not in the field, and these are specifically, uh, what I'm gonna attack. I'm gonna attack the horses, the asses, the camels, the oxen, the sheep, uh, and those, those, uh, five animals, uh, number of death, are going to be are going to be impacted by my judgment. Uh, the, the the horses, the asses, the camels, the oxen, and the sheep. With this, and he says, very grievous moraine. So it's not like a little bit of of a moraine, not a little bit of a disease, but a very grievous moraine. It's going to impact the economy of Egypt significantly. What is God doing? Well, He's going to war. This title, right? This kind of subtitle of, of my message. I'm going through the plagues. Is the war for worship? Because that's what he is. He's, God's going to war. And any time a country goes to war, you guys have heard it recently. You've heard it probably my whole lifetime. And definitely many of you, your whole lifetime in the news, right? It's always about uh, we're putting sanctions on this country. We're going to put sanctions on that country. What are we doing? We're, well, in essence, that's an act of war, right? People go to war over that. You turn off the money tap and people get kind of fired up. If they start starving, they're going to come after you, right? That's, so those are, those are really diplomatic things that are are leveraging and wrestling powers, wrestling with one another. Well, God is, uh, God, does, he could just take care of, of Egypt, no problem. But he's just working this out, and he's letting Pharaoh know who's boss. And he says, okay, here's some economic problems for you, Pharaoh. I'm going to take these cattle that are in the field. I'm going to take them out with this grievous, very grievous moraine. And uh, it is going to be an economic impact. You know, last year, just around here in this region of the world, we had a crazy cattle uh a crisis and all these cattle died mysteriously um i don't know if you remember it, but go ahead and if uh, you're ready roll that roll this video you might remember this from last summer of dead cattle. Yeah, that video has gone viral, being shared on Facebook more than 50,000 times. And now the Kansas Livestock Association says what happened is devastating. Shocking videos like this spread like wildfire Wednesday, claiming a heat wave killed these cattle in southwest Kansas. And headlines like this claimed more than 10,000 head died. It left many people wondering if it's even real. I have seen uh, some of the videos around, and and it's again, it's it's certainly not something that you you ever want to see or something that you ever want to deal with. Turns out it is real. Scarlett Higgins with the Kansas Livestock Association says while she doesn't have exact numbers, thousands of cattle did die from heat stress across an area near Ulysses. She says there was a sharp temperature increase in a short amount of time on top of a humidity increase and little to no wind. All right. So how many of you knew about that last year? That was last summer. So about half of you probably knew about it. It was kind of a big deal because people were like, what? I mean, up to some were thinking if you take Kansas and Texas, like 10,000 is what they were saying. I don't know, 2,000 plus documented. But whatever the case may be, when that happens, that, that makes people nervous. Why? Well, because it affects, well, it's going to affect someone's pocket, right? Uh, I don't know if the insurance company wants to insure 2,000 head of cattle, I and mean, that's a lot of money. Um, uh, it's going to it's gonna make uh, a dent, you know, if you get 10,000 or plus cattle gone, you're gonna, it's going to make a dent in the food supply, right? Those are, those are slated for food. And so you can imagine when everything in the country's hit, all the cattle, not just the beef cow, right? He gave the list. We're talking about your horses, your camels, your sheep, right? Um, 
of course, your, your, your cows, uh, the asses, so your beasts of burden. So all of those things are going to be knocked out by this moraine and disrupt the food supply. And God's going to use this moraine to disrupt the farming activity, right? If you're plowing with a with a, an ox or an ass, right? So um, he's going to he's going to do that. Some of those beasts were certainly used as as uh, you know construction, uh, probably uh, labor and things like that uh, to help with that different things. You know, even today when we were in Brazil on mission trips, you'd see horses running around with construction supplies. Some of the places. That you, you couldn't drive a truck to some of the places where things were being constructed. It was better to put your supplies on a cart and let a horse draw it uh, to the place it needed to go because you could get there uh, through some of those favelas and things like that. I mean, so I can imagine what it would have been like during this time. There was a lot of things impacted by this uh, this disease, this moraine that was going to kill all the cattle and that were in the field and disrupt the economy of Pharaoh. And so God uses this moraine to also disrupt transportation. You know, we, we laugh about people riding camels, but, hey, camels are a source of transportation. Beasts are a source of transportation. Uh, and they still are, right, all over the world. And could you imagine? Now, let's think about that, that video we watched, and everybody's worried about 10,000 cows dying. Now, what happened if, what if, now not just your cow died, right, uh, but, and not just your horse died, but now your car died. Like God sends a plague upon every car. You know, people actually worry about that. Like if an EID went off, or not EID, that's it. What is it? EMP, thank you. I'm talking about, uh, well, I'm thinking about something else. Um, and so uh, EMP went off, right? And all the, everything got toasted electronically. What kind of state we would be in? Well, that's kind of what God, he's toasting the economy of Egypt. I mean, because that isn't just their food. That's We're talking about beasts. We're talking about Sheep, right? That that could be clothing, the clothing industry. I mean, all kinds of things are being impacted by this uh, by this uh, smiting of God upon the the cattle of Egypt. So God separated His people uh, on the fourth plague, right? We mentioned that in chapter eight and verse twenty three. That was a big deal. And now He separates their possessions on the fifth plague. And that's really it's a subtle it's a subtle thing here, but it's very important in in chapter nine and verse four. It says, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. So God now is not just protecting his people in in Goshen. He's protecting their property. Right. He's not just separated them out as a people. He's now saying, oh, and by the way, uh, Pharaoh, while you're going down, uh, my people, because I'm the Lord God of the Hebrews. Right. And I'm telling you to let my people go. <laughs> They're going to be fine. Not just they are going to be fine. Their property is going to be fine. You just look. This is going to be, you know, God's being well, he's he's kind of being a racist. He's going after the Egyptians and separating out his people. God is not a racist, by the way. Just he created all races. Just so in case anybody knows, you know, wants to give me any grief over that. But he's separating out his people. And uh, and he is telling Pharaoh, look, uh, you're going to be impacted, but my people will not be impacted. And it's worth noting that all the plagues will strike Pharaoh and Egypt so that all the earth can see God's power. Now, I'm going to just skip ahead to verse 16 of our text. It's um, I didn't read this, but later on, we'll get to this next week. He says, in, in very deed for this course, I have raised thee up for to show in thee my power that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Well, who's he talking to? Well, uh, he's talking about not just Moses and, and, uh, and Aaron. He's talking about God has allowed the hardness of Pharaoh's heart so that the whole world will know his power. The more that, that, that Pharaoh resists, the more people will see the power of God. That's why God's allowing this to go on. He doesn't have to allow it to go on. He's just continuing to demonstrate his power over the earth. And, beloved, ultimately, if you know anything about end times prophecy, that's ultimately where the showdown comes at the second coming of Christ. It's actually over the earth. There are people claiming this property is theirs, and God will eventually come back and reclaim his property and his people and his promises, and he will take care of all of that at the second coming of Christ. In the meantime, we are promised that we we are to be holy as he's holy because why? We have been separated. We have been circumcised spiritually speaking, and we will be caught up and pulled out and taken out of the plagues that are yet to come. A lot of promises in the New Testament that this that we could just talk about, but I don't have time this morning. But God executed his plague 
on his terms. I want you to see that as well in verse 5. God executed judgment very swiftly. He didn't mess around. The terms of this wasn't, uh, wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna tarry. It says, and the Lord God appointed a set time. These are, this is my time and this is what I'm gonna do, saying tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And if you go into verse 6, it was done. Alright? Done. This wasn't some, you know, sometimes you get these skeptics and they try to think, you know, this happened and that happened. No, this happened like that. It wasn't some disease that swept over over a course of time and, you know, some rats brought it in and started chewing on something and got in the food supply. It wasn't like that. This was a very rapid thing that happened literally overnight. God said, this is what's going to happen, and it was done. And he executed his judgment completely. It says in verse 6, all the cattle of Egypt died. Of course, within the context, all the cattle that were in the field. So God protected Israel completely. That's amazing in verse 6. Not one of the cattle of the children of Israel died, he says. And notice that God, uh, notice that God in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 7 says that Pharaoh desired to look into the protection of Israel. So when you get down to verse 7, Pharaoh was, he's, he's picking up on this separation thing. And, and so look down there in verse 7. It says, and Pharaoh sent, and, and, and behold, there was not one cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So he sent a messenger is what he did. He sent a uh, an ambassador to go down and, and verify that what Moses said was true. And sure enough, his messenger comes back and says, there is not one cattle of the children of Israel, the Hebrews, that is dead. So, of course, you know, he bows down and says, there's one true God. No, of course, he doesn't. That just makes him matter because God one-upped him. And so his heart gets increasingly harder. And so Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh is a very hard-hearted man. So Pharaoh was hard like a guy. You remember Hitler? Man, Hitler was like that. We've seen we see hard-hearted people like this, you know, in contemporary uh, times as well. Um, and you know, even back in history in the 1300s, there were many Roman Catholics uh, that persecuted Jews because they were devastated by the bubonic the bubonic plague, or what's known as the Black Plague. And the Jews didn't seem to be, you know, as injured by it as, as some of the other people in Europe, especially the, let's see, that'd be Eastern or Western Europe. Um, and so uh, they started, people started saying, oh, they caused it. Those Jews are causing it and they have, and because they're not affected by it. And this is a, this is a, a conspiracy to, you know, destroy our peoples. And then so on top of, you know, estimated 75 million to 200 million, that's a pretty broad swath. Uh, but a large percentage of the population, some estimate up to 25% of the population at that time died of the Black Plague. It made, it made coronavirus look like nothing, literally like nothing. Um, and so, uh, but they, the people were hard-hearted and they went after uh, the Jews at that time as well. There are principalities and powers all over the world to this day who have the same perspective on God's provision and protection of God's chosen people as the ancient peoples of Egypt and the ancient peoples in even more recent history, right? There's something about the Gentile powers that just cannot stand that there is a Lord God of the Hebrews and God has a plan for them on this planet. Um, and so they need to, what they need to do is meet that Lord God. His name is Jesus and receive a better inheritance in Christ. I mean, because in Christ, man, all things are ours. Because those Jews are just as hard-hearted as the Gentiles, right? And that's proven as my introduction where their own deacon Stephen said, Hey, guys, uh, you got hard hearts. God sets them apart not because they're worthy, but because he's, he's worthy. And this same way with us. When we get saved, do we get saved because we're good people? No. We're actually bad people. We're sinners. We get saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ's finished work alone. And God is good. And he allows us to bump into things and to come up against hardness. Why? Because he loves us and wants us to understand that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So Pharaoh's investigation of God's devastation led him to the verification uh, of the Lord God of the Hebrews' divine preservation of, of the seed of the nation of Israel. And so Pharaoh will eventually lose his son and his life, everything, because he would not bow his knee to the Lord God of the Hebrews. I mean, he's not just going to lose his life. He's going to lose his son's life. I mean, he's going to, it's all going to be gone. And, and listen to me. If you're here this morning and you're listening online and you're fighting tooth and nail against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, 
and you're not submitting yourself to the truth of God's word, and you got all these reasons and excuses, but you know in your heart God's word is true, and you know it like you know it, and you want to resist it, man, you've got to stop that because you will lose everything. You will lose your soul. In Mark chapter 8, the Bible says, what is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You know, Elon Musk, I mean, Bill Gates, uh, Epstein, you know. Well, let me take that guy off the list. Uh, you know, George Soros. I don't care who you are. Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, who are you? I, it doesn't matter who you are. Mr. Ping. Does not matter. Throw out all the names, all the big shots, all the, all the people. Man, if you lose your soul, you're just a worm. And the worm dies not. There's only one king, and it's Jesus, the one true king. Uh, and so, so man, folks got to come to that understanding. You don't mess with God. There's a point in which you just bow your knee and confess with your mouth that he is Lord to the glory of God. I'll get back to that in a minute. So the Lord, what is he doing here? Well, he's attacking the God of Apis, the son of Hathor, with this plague. Apis, is the son of Hathor, was has been documented in history since 3000 B.C., and the temple's built were built to him as late as 56 bc which kind of shocked me i was like wow that is a long run almost 3,000 years this is a major major deity in human history not just in egyptian history um and so apis uh this this uh this god uh, represented eternal life itself and was believed to keep the balance of order in the universe and of course god is bringing some chaos because that's what you do in war is you bring chaos so god's bringing some chaos and so God's teaching Pharaoh that he would uh, he would uh, become he would be in chaos if he did not repent. You know, lost people see the overturning of the fallen world. Uh, the opposite that, that it really is. Have you noticed that? How many? I mean, if you were if I was lost once. So if if you've been lost and you've lived long enough as a lost person, you just got a kind of an internal um, angst against Christianity and Christ until you get saved. Um, and then, but, and so you have this issue that like Christians are like against fun, like you, like God's against fun. You know, you got this, you got these issues in your heart, like God's against this, God's against, and you don't really get the God, what God's for, right? God's no, God is for everything that's good. Yay. I mean, I mean, in Christ it's yay. It's not nay. He, he hates sin. And that's why you feel that way. That's why, because you are, are yoked and, and you have an affinity for sin and death. And you don't even know it. You know, isn't it funny? People walk around. Now we call it my dad. You know, it's, you know how it is if you grew up 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Used to be they thought smoking was good for you, right? So market that out. So everybody, let's put some smoke in our lungs. Everybody's walking around smoking, sucking, sucking carcinogens into their lungs, right? Like that's good? No, that creates death. And you're so hooked on the nicotine, you can't get off, right? So what? Just like meth, just like anything else, like just, you name it. Whatever we think is fun and good for us, next thing you know, we're hooked on it. And next thing you know, we find out, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, oh, guess what? That's a carcinogen. Why? Because we live in a sin-wrecked world, guys. Uh, it's all about God's not trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from dying and going to hell and having the best life now. No, having the best life that impacts eternity. He wants your life to impact eternity, and he has a plan for you. So listen to this. In Acts 17, Paul's preaching to a bunch of know-it-alls in Athens. And he says this. He says, and when they, uh, and when they found them not, they drew J- Oh, I'm sorry. This is in Thessalonica. Um, I'm in the wrong chapter. Acts chapter 17. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that were that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You know, when, they, when people heard the gospel in the first century and they heard that this man died on the cross for our sins, he was God, that he was born again, or that he was born, he lived a sinless life and he rose again. And people went out proclaiming that and they believed that. Man, it messed up everybody. And they're like, hey, these people are turning the world upside down. They're saying there's one God. It's like what happens when you preach the gospel in a, in a pagan place like, uh, you know, like India. Where they have a, a pantheon of gods and you come, you show it up and say, oh, and by the way, there's one true God. They're like, you're turning the world upside down. No, you're not. You're actually setting it right side up. You're putting God at the top and every other God below. But the world doesn't see it that way. They say you're turning everything upside down. 
Because the world sees correction and restoration as destruction. That's why we have to have our minds renewed. I mean, I am the opposite, literally polar opposite on so many positions from when I was lost to when I got saved. I mean, I was all pro-abortion. I was all anti-Israel. I was all those things because I hadn't read the Bible. I didn't know the God of life. So he changed my mind. He changed my heart first and my mind came with it. And so in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. How in the world does a guy like Pharaoh see that God has separated? The Lord God of the Hebrews has separated his people that he said, I want to let go. And he puts them down here and he says, these are my people. And then the next plague rolls around. And he says, oh, and by the way, this plague isn't going to touch their property. And he goes down there and he sees this thing or his ambassador does. And then he comes back and he gets the report and he's sitting on his throne. And he still says, well, that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to kick him in the teeth. I mean, who does that? Someone that's in Isaiah that's calling good for evil, evil for good. Why? Because you know what? At the end of the day, he was wise in his own eyes and he was prudent in his own sight. There are some people that just don't get it. Pride. And pride is the chief problem. So point two and we'll be done. What happens? Well, you know what happens. We're repeating the story over and over again. He gets another whipping. You know, we're getting so politically correct, almost like, I don't know that I can say that. Uh, But that's what happens. He's getting spanked. He's getting chastened. God is like, hey, okay, I'm going to give you another whipping. Just because I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to warn you. I'm just going to bring it. I'm going to bring it. (laughs) Here it comes. You're going to get it, Mr. Pride Boy. He's a proud boy. All right. So uh, that's the real proud boys. Be very careful with this. You don't want to be one of those. You'll get a whipping. I'm just hitting all the buttons. Okay, so Pharaoh, he receives another whipping without a warning. This is certain to be pulled down. <laughs> I wonder why I get blocked on Facebook. What's going on? Anyway, so uh, here, here comes boils and blames. Right. God's going to bring boils and blames. We read in verse eight. Let's just look at it quickly. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So Bobby Blaine, I don't see her here today, but Bobby Blaine, this has nothing to do with you, by the way. So. Uh, so here comes the boils and blains because why? Well, he ignored God's warning with the moraine, right? And that disease and he hardened his heart further. So God brings judgment without any warning or recourse. And this is the this is the second plague given without warning. The first plague given without warning was in Exodus eight sixteen through 19. The third plague was the lice that was the uh, first given uh, that was first to be given without warning. And then Pharaoh uh, feigned repentance. After that plague of frogs and then the magicians could not duplicate that plague of lice. And we see in Exodus 9:11 that the magicians here were afflicted uh, as well by this uh, plague as well. I'll get to that in just a moment. But God commands Moses to initiate this plague in the sight of Pharaoh. So even though he didn't warn Pharaoh, he wants Pharaoh to know, hey, hey, pal, this is coming from me. <laughs> so here's Moses once again, like, hey, Pharaoh over here. Woo! You know, throws the dust up in the air and boom, it's on. Right. And uh, and he knows here it comes. No warning. He just he just knows, OK, God's coming after me. So God had Moses stand near this furnace and take the ashes and sprinkle them toward heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. There's probably some significance to this and the religious practices, uh, but I was not able to dig all that out. So that would be speculation. So I'm not going to report on it. But God knows that the goddess Isis is supposed to protect the Egyptians and uh, get and he assures his people uh, or that he assures this plague is completely unstoppable and will it will very directly impact the magicians with boils and blains to the point that the magicians can't even stand before Moses is what the text says. They can't even literally present themselves in front of Moses because they are covered in boils and blains. And so you might say, well, Brian, um, what is a blain? 
You know, you brought up Bobby, but I don't think that's it. And it's not. Uh, and so uh, a Blaine is like, well, you know what a boil. I think everybody knows what a boil is, right? Then you just take the same definition of Blaine. You can look this up on your own. It's basically a boil, and it, it's like a pussy boil. So it's like a huge zit. You know, it's just nasty. And it's just yuck. And, and, it's, a, and it's also in, uh, part of that's painful. So it's a, it's a painful pussy boil. It's just hurting. So these people are on fire with pain uh, in their body, in their person. And, and so um, it's, a, it's a pus-filled boil that burns. That's basically the definition of a, of a blame. Uh, so, um, and so it's very, very difficult to deal with. The Egyptians had placed the children of Israel in a, in a fiery furnace of sorts for decades, didn't they? Uh, they were killing their children. They were putting them under oppression. Uh, they had felt the heat of Pharaoh's uh, wrath and his pressure. Now God is bringing the pressure on them, and they are suffering uh, as God has brought this specifically mentions to the magicians. And there's a reason for that, because God has a way of dealing with his enemies. This is pointing out who some of the enemies are more specifically, right? He's targeting, like, you know, with a heat-seeking missile, he's targeting these magicians. And even though it does say after the magicians, everybody in Egypt is affected by this. So everybody's getting these boils and these blains. He highlights these magicians who can't stand before Pharaoh for a specific reason, and I'm I'm going to tell you why. Uh, That's because in Exodus or Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 27, the Lord prophesies through Moses. He says, "The Lord will smite thee with the botch, calls it the botch of Egypt, and with the emrods, which are hemorrhoids, and with the scab, and with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed." So he talks about this botch, which is just a word for all of these problems that, that God will use to smite his enemies with. And they are, it just cannot be healed. It's an incurable disease. Uh, and so, um, and that can be quite frightening, right? Uh, whether it's Ebola or AIDS back in the day when that came out, it's like, oh no, there's a disease we don't have a cure for. Cancer, it's scary. Why? Because there's not a cure oftentimes for that. So, so those things are, are scary. Uh, God says, I'm going to target my enemies with the blotch of Egypt. So he's defining something here. What is the blotch of Egypt? Well, it's what we're looking at. There was a time where God says, you know what? I'm going to use disease. Not just to touch the cattle, but now I'm going to touch the skin of these people. Specifically, I mentioned God's going to mention the magicians because he's setting a precedent. Later on in 1 Samuel, um, I just went through this you know, a few weeks ago in my daily reading. The Philistines go to war with the Israelites, and the Israelites are as carnal as a day is long. Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, terrible situation. Well, they get the bright idea of taking the Ark of the Covenant out to the battlefield. So maybe God will win the battle for them if they take this Ark out, you know. And, and you know, the, the phrase, quit yourself like men and be strong, which is quoted in a positive context in the New Testament, actually comes from that passage where the Philistines quit themselves like men, were strong, and went after the Israelites. And God allowed it. God allowed it, and they took the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas get slain, which they deserved. Uh, and then uh, they go back and they t- the messenger tells Eli, Eli is a big old fat dude on the chair, falls over, breaks his neck. Boom, that problem solved. So God just pur- purged the leadership of, uh, of the temple. That brings the advent of Samuel. Um, but also this Ark of the Covenant, the main thing that you worship there at Shiloh in the tabernacle, is it's now in the enemy's hands. So what does God send? He sends a plague. And that plague falls upon the people of uh, the Philistines, first he knocks their Dagon, their god Dagon down, cuts his head and hands off. And then, and then they get all these hemorrhoids, these emrods. And they probably got an itch going with that. And they got a scratch and they got a burn and a fire. And they got all kinds of things going on. All the stuff that's mentioned in that Deuteronomy 28. It gets so bad that they're like, get this thing out of here. Get this ark. And they end up taking the ark back, to summarize it and giving it, along with some offerings, giving it back to the children of Israel. God fought that, fought that battle and won it without one Israelite being involved, just by using a plague, just like what we see here in Egypt, a disease that came upon them. And man, I tell you what, I, I, wouldn't, want, I wouldn't wish that upon my enemy, and that was God's enemy. So that is the enemy, and God says, I do wish it upon my enemy because I want him to repent. And by the way, the Philistines credit, they did repent, and they got the ark back. And so uh, they were better than Pharaoh in that sense. 
in First Samuel 4, that, that all occurred. And, and then in Deuteronomy 28, 27, we see that that is really a fulfillment of what God had planned. And he had used the same thing. The botch of Egypt is how he defined that. So God's making a clear statement that Pharaoh has made himself an enemy of God through his uh, double-minded and half-hearted promises of repentance. Now consider how gracious God had been to Pharaoh. I believe that this is where uh, where possible, it was possible for Pharaoh. Uh, I do believe that if he were to humble himself at this moment, God would have still given him grace. But he wouldn't. Let me tell you this morning, if God is your enemy at length, it's because you have chosen to worship yourself or something else over him. It's not because God is out to get anybody. He's quite the opposite. And he is being so gracious. I think if Pharaoh would have repented, he would, God would have received him. But this is the last chance. This is one of the last chances he has. It is the last chance for him. He hardens his own heart. After this, the next three hardenings, God brings. Bing, bing, bing. And he hardens his heart for him. So God specifically afflicts the magicians so severely they can't stand before Moses, as I mentioned in verse 11. And there's no way to miss the foreshadowing prophecy of Revelation 16. In Revelation 16, 1 and 2, we, uh, you've, probably, you've probably read this before, but it says, uh, I heard a great voice in the, in the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. There's coming a time at the end of Daniel's 70th week before Jesus returns, he's going to pour out these vials, and it's going to be on all the earth. All the earth. Not some, not a third. All the earth. And this is what it says. And the first went and poured out the vial upon the earth, and there fell some noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast. There's coming a time when people will, will have the mark that's associated with the beast, and, and those that have that will be afflicted by sores. Those that had the mark of God, those 144,000, not afflicted. And they, those who worship the image is all about worship. Revelation 16.10. Fast forward the tape. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and the kingdom was full of darkness, and, and they gnawed on their tongue for pain. So painful. They're chewing on their tongue. They're just like, ah! It's intense. And blasphemed God of heaven because of their pains and sores and repented not of their deeds. I said earlier, there are people alive even today that are like that of Pharaoh. Well, guess what? That's what the prophecy says. There's people alive, probably some of these people alive today that we frequent with. Somebody in the midst of God's wrath being poured out are going to, in the midst of all their pain and suffering, not say, Oh, Lord God of the Hebrews, give me mercy and grace. Forgive me for my transgressions. I am sorry for my my reprobate mind. No, they're going to say, curse you. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So as we progress, um, you know, through these plagues, there's I haven't brought this up really yet, but I want to go ahead and throw this this chart up. I was going to put it in your notes, but I couldn't fit it on that tiny paper. So uh, you'll have to just take a picture or something or get it off the Internet later. But this is a chart of the seven vials compared to the Egyptian plagues. They're not one for one, but you can see that uh, as we get to the sixth Egyptian plague, in verses 8 through 12, boils of those who take the mark of the beast. Very much uh, like that first vile judgment in the book of Revelation, chapter 16. And, and there are parallels as well. Uh, as you see, rivers become blood and, um, and darkness. We'll get to that later in, in Exodus chapter 10. And then uh, the great hail. We'll get to that next week as well. And so the, you start to see these parallels. Uh, there are some parallels between the plagues of what was going on in Egypt and the plagues uh, that will come in the judgments upon this earth in the coming tribulation. And equally so, there will be men's hearts that are super, super, super hard. And even when they're gnawing on their tongue in pain, will turn and curse God. And I hope that's nobody in this room. So God is painting a clear picture for those who will stand and identify with the coming Antichrist. They will be in agonizing pain and suffering for taking his mark. And so the heart of the matter, let's finish this up and get to the heart of the matter. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more. In Exodus nine twelve, the Bible says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, 
and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. So Exodus 9, 7 was the last time that Pharaoh hardened his own heart without the aid of God. In verse 12, this begins the consequences as God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart, leading to his final destruction. So this is so to this point, 80 percent of the time, Pharaoh hardened his own heart since since he started dealing with Moses up to this point. You know, everybody's like, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, you know, and they go through, um, you know, all kinds of loops trying to talk about God's sovereignty and God's providence. All the, listen, 80, to this point, 80 percent of the time, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And as I've submitted to you before, God could have snuffed that dude out before he ever got started with these plagues if he wanted to and justly sent him to hell for all the things he did before that. Right. So if you I don't know why you would be sympathetic to Pharaoh at this point, but some people are. But after this, I say all that to say this, as I've already pointed out in a previous chart, 50 percent of the time, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. When you when you, when you lay them all out, this is my math. I don't know. Maybe someone would disagree. This is my study. I came up with, with these eight times, and, and, and 50% of that time was Pharaoh, 50% of the time was God. Man, God forbid that he would use you and I in a situation where he can count on our hearts being hard and use us as a vessel of dishonor. Wow. It serves as a reminder that God is not obligated to pursue our repentance indefinitely. But let me say this. He's really not obligated to pursue our repentance at all. He just does because he loves us. And he certainly is not obligated to just pursue us indefinitely, like all these Christian songs. Oh, my lover, Jesus, he pursues me so I can sin. Yeah, 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 I'm running from God and he's pursuing me as I sin. No, stop! Get a glue on who's, who's, who is gracious and not whacked you yet and repent and get, get right with God. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's kind. Yes, his, his mercies are new every morning. But don't, don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Paul said, God forbid, how shall we continue in sin? We can't continue in sin if we've been delivered from it. Now, yes, our flesh will and we struggle daily. and We got a first John one nine and all that. But our heart should not be. Oh, man, I'm just going to run from you, Jesus. I run to you, Jesus. The prodigal son didn't run away. He ran. When he was coming, the father joined him. He made a decision to come home. Come home. Romans 1, 28. There are some who won't. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity. Whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. You say, yeah, but Brian, verse 27 deals with the homosexuality. Why didn't you put that in there? Uh, you know why? Because sometimes that's all we focus on. Read that list. There's plenty of people, even in churches, that seem to, to frequent that list. Backbiters, right? Uh, despiteful, proud boasters. I'm not just saying <laughs> there's a lot in that list. There's a lot without understanding covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable and merciful who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that's strong, beloved Romans chapter one. It's worth a read. There are people that harden their heart to the place that God is. He is not obligated to continue to offer them the opportunity to be saved. It's not saying he won't, but he he knows your heart. I don't know anyone's heart. The chief goddess of Egypt, Isis, who heals all, cannot heal this plague. And it's worth noting, nothing is said of how God responds to this plague. Or I'm sorry, how he rescinds the plague. I, I said that wrong. Nothing is said of how he rescinds it. It's not given in the text. Like, and then the next day, and then, no, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't say. The same God that allows the affliction is the only one who can create the body to fight and heal from such an affliction. It's all in God's hands. I reminded what Satan said to, to Job, or Satan said to God about Job. You know what he said? He said to, to God, he says, but, but put forth thine hand now on my terms, on my timeline, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Talking of Job. You know what's awesome about that? Job did not curse God to his face. 
We just read in Revelation, there's coming a time when, when, when God will put his hand and touch men so severely, you, you can't imagine how they couldn't repent, and they will curse God to his face. When the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked, it's deceitful. Oh, I mean, it is not kidding. We live in a time like Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. There are times when, when, when one can no longer halt between two opinions and make a decision not to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to make your decisions and take the consequences. For it's better to burn in this world than to burn for eternity. Now, if you're saved, obviously, you won't burn for eternity. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're set apart. Jesus, all the wrath of God's put on Jesus. He suffered on the cross. I wanted to be clear about that. But I'm just saying, beloved, the consequences of the flesh and the bone for us are not enough. Our fidelity is to Jesus Christ. And our hope is that, of course, the reality that he has separated us, sanctified us, set us apart. And, he, and of course, the great, the, the great thing that we preach on from Titus, right, is our blessed hope is that Jesus is going to come and receive us. And he, we are his bride and he's taken us out. But that's not the case for everybody. There's a war for worship. And if you want a hard heart like Pharaoh, simply allow God to turn up the heat and keep beating on you. I was thinking about that. How does someone heart, how someone's heart get so hard like that? Well, if, you're, if you understand metal work, right, what do you do with metal that you want to get hard? You heat it up and you just keep beating it. You keep beating it. And you heat it up and you beat it. <coughs> That's what God's doing with Pharaoh. He's decided he's going to be an instrument that he's going to use. Because his heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Now, this is not where I wanted to stop the message, but I'm going to. Because you gotta, you got to come for next week. I know you're going to the lake, but you guys got to put that on hold. You know, you got to be here. <clears throat> it's not even going to be online because YouTube's not going to run it now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, no, but next week I'll talk to you about, about <clears throat> right, we saw the warning, we saw the whip. But next week I want to talk to you about a way to escape. But this morning, I don't want to wait that long. Maybe you've come this morning and, and your heart is, is hard and you know it. And you know God's given you opportunity to, to turn it around. Now, if you're a Christian, we're just talking about chastening as a child. But if you're not a Christian, we're talking about complete judgment. And God is so good that he, he wants us to, to come to him. He wants us to repent. He gives us opportunities and time to, to receive his grace and his love. And today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. <clears throat> and man, God loves us. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You see, God God has a plan for you that does not include his wrath. You know why that is? Because he's already died and suffered for you on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, God called on Pharaoh to turn from his own prideful wisdom and let God's son, Israel, go. He's like... Pharaoh, stop thinking with your own brain. Your brain is going to get you in trouble. Turn from that and let my son Israel, Exodus 4:22, let that or 23, go. Let my son go. But in the New Testament, it's the opposite. God says, stop your foolish thinking. My son has already died. He has already res- resurrected. My son is Jesus Christ. I don't need you to let him go. I need you to receive him. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Don't be so stubborn. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. And you must receive him if you want to have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to come before your throne and your word. We pray a blessing on the reading.